zone is caught. A diving reception with a touchdown. Urban Phillips with an all-world highlight check. 25-footer. Yes! Off the glass and in. John Gillen is beaten too. It's a third win against the top ten. And the Orange had them all the way. They didn't look into your heart. They didn't look into your heart. They didn't look into my heart. A three for the win battle. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us alongside Seth Goldberg. I'm Stephen Fonte. It's a Tuesday edition of Orange Nation. We are brought to you in part by Duntire. 315-437-7644 if you'd like to get involved. A lot to get to today. It is Super Bowl week, Seth. We've, we is. haven't talked much football in the last week and a half or so, but we're going to change that today. It's Tuesday, which means Top 5 Tuesday. We're bringing it back. Number uh, 5. Top 5 Tuesday Super Bowl edition uh, with uh, yeah. a couple of topics that, that you wanted to discuss today, so we'll get into that as the show moves along. We do have Alan Griffin set to join us. Uh, the team's a little busy right now. They had a team meeting, practicing as we speak before they leave for Atlanta later today. So you had a chance, Seth, to catch up with assistant coach Alan Griffin a little bit earlier, so we'll play that interview back for you uh, in about uh, 20 minutes or so. We begin, though, with SU basketball and with the coaches' shows from last night. And, and you and I had, had back-to-back shows. You sat with Adrian Autry from 7 to 8. I was with Jerry McNamara from 8 to 9. And, of course, one of the topics that did come up was the health of, of Matthew Moyer. And you heard Max allude to it just a moment ago during his Sports Center update. Uh, I asked Jerry for a status update on his condition. Good news is, Seth, that he is back at practice. Yes. Uh, we don't know how much he's practicing, but at least he's doing stuff on that ankle. Here's Jerry on Moyer's return to practice. He was back on the court today doing some things. You know, he, he's. We feel like Brad Pike's one of the best in the business. Is how how he works with these guys. And you know, I know he, even even this weekend he was in there and getting getting treatments and you know trying to get it right, trying to get it back to where he feels like he could start to maybe get out and shoot again. And uh, we saw him on the court for for a little bit today, shooting and getting ready and. You know he looks good. You know it's just these things are, are are it's different when you're going live. You know so you know I think he's probably on that day to day window. Okay, so first things first, I think that is fantastic news for SU fans that are concerned about the status of Matthew Moyer. The fact that he is on that ankle doing things, even if he's not practicing oh, full contact and scrimmaging yet, and he he's obviously not at full strength. The fact that he's out there and that Jerry and the coaches are calling him day-to-day, I think that is a very good sign. Let's hear another comment from Jerry. This is on the injury, uh, and this gives you a little idea of what he's dealing with. If you saw his ankle, you'd probably you know, need an airplane bag. It's, uh, you know, anybody that's sprained an ankle, and, and once you get the discoloration in it, and, you know, sometimes it looks a little bit worse than it feels. Uh, but when you have a high sock on and I can see the discoloration in your leg from the high sock, you know, it's just one of those things where he had a severe ankle sprain and uh, he's trying to get it healthy and doing everything he can in this, you know, in his power that he can get he can get back as quick as possible. So, again, the good news is it sounds like he's truly just dealing with a sprain. I say just. We know that they can be painful. It sounds like this is a, a severe sprain. The fact that you can see the discoloration through the sock, I think that gives you an idea of how much discoloration there is. But again, I just got to chill. That, that sounds awful. The fact that he's day-to-day, the fact that he's moving around on it, doing things, again, I think that's a, a very good sign. Now, as it pertains to the game tomorrow, 
probably a little too soon to see him back. I think, you know, if we had to guess without even talking to Jerry, I think we would guess he's probably not going to play tomorrow. I did ask Jerry, are we going to see him tomorrow night? Here's Jerry's answer. You know, I'd be surprised, you know, based on the severity of how he went down. Uh, So I saw the injury. Uh, I saw it in person, uh, how he's looked. So, you know, they're just a funny thing. And and who knows? You know, maybe he's sitting there and saying, I want to play, I want to play, I want to play. You know, but then the doctor, you know, I I, I just don't know. We're just going to list him as day-to-day. All right. So there you go. That was Jerry McNamara last night. He's day-to-day. He's got a severely sprained ankle. Doesn't sound like it's anything more than that. He's moving around. He's returned to practice. It sounds like if we read between the lines on a limited basis to some degree right now. And it's, I don't want to say a long shot that he's going to play. He's probably not going to play tomorrow. That was the gist that I got. That was kind of the feeling I had before I even asked Jerry. That's still the feeling I have. I think he probably won't play. And you're going to head down to Georgia Tech a little bit shorthanded. But I think all in all, Seth, good news compared to, to what it could have been. Anytime you hear, you know, x-rays and, you know, just, you know, as a precaution and trying to rule things out, you always hold your breath that, you know, maybe it's worse than, than it seems. Um, but if it's just a sprained ankle, he'll recover from that. He'll be back. And, uh, you know, th- this team will be back to full strength to some degree uh, in the near future. Yeah, relatively soon. This team will be back at 100% or, or as close to 100% as this team can get with only eight scholarship say. players. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it, it seems like, um, you know, all things considered, it seemed like they dodged a bullet, right? It's, it's quote-unquote, only a sprained ankle. Uh, he's already back on the court on a on a limited basis. Um, you know, he he he's making some kind of progress. It seems, and maybe he plays tomorrow night. I would be surprised. Um, I you know, ba- based on talking to Red last night, I wouldn't be shocked, but I would be surprised. Um, and you know what? Maybe maybe that means he's back by the weekend. Maybe next Monday. You know, maybe maybe it's something like back that. Back in where, time for your big upset over exactly, Virginia that you've been calling for the last exactly. two weeks. Maybe he can come back in time and, and go get 15 rebounds against Virginia and, and lead the Orange to victory. But, uh, you know, may, maybe he's getting close, right? And if, it, if it's only going to miss, you know, a week and a half or, or two weeks after, you know, an injury like that and, and spraining your ankle and, and you know, that, that didn't look good, um, you take that. Right, you take that and run, and uh, you know it's only been a week. It's only been six days. He misses through next weekend. That's a week and a half. Maybe through next Monday. That's you know uh, two weeks of games. That that's not the worst thing in the world for you know uh, for for a guy to have to miss with a sprained ankle. No, and you see him on the bench with the walking boot, and you're wondering is there more going on, and when will we see him again? So again, I think all in all, it's good news. Now this game tomorrow against Georgia Tech. It's obviously a very big game for Syracuse. We know the circumstances that, that SU's dealing with, a chance to move to 5-4, and four, chance to get to 16-6 and six overall. We know that the schedule gets awfully more difficult once February hits. You look at what this game means for Georgia Tech, Seth, and I'm not, you know I'm not one to overstate things or exaggerate. It almost feels like this is kind of Georgia Tech's season where they are right now, and this is what happens in this conference. They start 3-1 and one in the ACC. They have now lost four games in a row. And it's not like they're playing badly. They lost to Virginia, at North Carolina, at Florida State, and and home against Clemson in heartbreaking fashion. And essentially all four of those teams are ranked. Now at the time, Florida State was not ranked. But those are four top 20 teams that they lost to -to -to back-to-back-to-back-to-back. And now they have Syracuse and BC coming up these next two games. And then they're at Louisville and home for Duke. And three and five, if they don't... Get one or both of these three and five could turn into three and nine, and then they they are their season is over, right? And you don't expect them to be Louisville or Duke. 
So, again, I'm not trying to exaggerate or, or overstate this. There is... You talk about a sense of urgency. SU's been playing with a sense of urgency after starting one and four. Georgia Tech's reached that point, right? And, Georgia and- Tech has reached that point where they absolutely need a win. It's going to be a sold-out crowd. Yep. They Their season is on the line, and Syracuse is coming in shorthanded. So talk about the Orange going in there and facing some adversity. And oh, by the way, they lost to this team, and a lot of these same guys are back from last year's team. They lost to this same team down there a year ago. So this is... You know, I know we look at it and we say, well, it's only Georgia Tech. SU's better than Georgia Tech. And yes, I think on face value, SU is better than Georgia Tech. The Yellow Jackets have some of the intangibles, though, in this game in terms of that, that might give them a little bit of an edge. They, they might have the emotional edge. They're certainly going to have the home court advantage. And they're going to be at full strength, and Syracuse is not, most likely. Yeah, no, they, they've got an edge in a couple of these things. You mentioned the, the health. Uh, they are playing back up against the wall. You know, and, and it's funny that you point out they've lost four in a row because we were saying how right that Syracuse was up against the, the wall thing. after losing four in a row. And it, it just goes to show that like this happens in the ACC, right? Like this isn't this isn't some anomaly. Like teams lose games in the ACC. Teams go through losing streaks. You know, teams go and uh you know just just miss uh you know just just can't pull out wins even in games that they play well because the competition level is so high. Is this one of those games for Syracuse? No, I, I don't think so. If they play well they'll win. Um, but that being said, uh, they've got two All ACC players in Ben La- uh, Ben Lammers and Josh Kogi, and they're going to have their hands full, uh, you know, with both of them. And Syracuse isn't healthy, and they're going down to a sold out building down there in Atlanta. Uh, this is a big game on on both sides of this, and and I wanted to ask you, um, do you put this in the same category as the Pittsburgh game, where it it feels weird to call it a must win for Syracuse? Yeah. It feels no. weird to call it a must-win, but it's one of those that like you really want to have. Yes, it, I, it is not in the same category for me because that the Pitt game that truly would have been a bad loss. Like when you look at their resume at the end of the day, that loss to Pitt would have stuck out like a sore thumb. I mean, they've yet to win in the conference, so no, I don't think this is under the same category. I think these teams are pretty similar. I do think Syracuse is better, but again, Georgia Tech has some of the advantages going into this game. I'll I'll give you a different analogy. I think this game for Georgia Tech is precisely what the BC game was for Syracuse. Same situation. Four-game losing streak. You're coming back home. You absolutely need a win against a team that's Middle of the road in the ACC. I mean, is that not exactly oh, what BC is. was? I mean, yes. this is it's a home and, and game against the middle of the road what, team. And what did we say about that game? We said Syracuse to has to win this yeah. game. And so I look at this game for Georgia Tech the same way that I looked at that BC game for Syracuse. And for as an SU fan, like if if you're an SU fan going in this game, I think that has to concern you because teams tend to play better when their backs are against the wall, for lack of a better term, or that whatever cliche you want to use. Their season is very much on the line. Yes, it is. And teams generally play better when they have that urgency. And Syracuse will have up. to. Syracuse is going to have to match that urgency. They either play better or they just completely fold up. Yeah, right. But like if they were going to fold, see, this is why. I don't if think they were going to fold, fold, they wouldn't have had Clemson on the ropes the other night. Right, and and they didn't get blown out in any of these games. I mean, the Florida State game ended up being an eleven point spread. That was close until the very end, and free throws. You know, it kind of it, it got to be an eleven point spread. That was a, that was a close game. That was a close game. Now they they weren't going to beat Virginia. They lost by sixteen, and Virginia 
you know, did what Virginia does, right? They kind of keep you at arm's length. They're, yep. You know, they're up by 8, 10, 12 points the whole way. They didn't get blown out in any of those games. They played four straight top 25 opponents. They didn't get blown out. We know they've got Ben Lammers. We know they got Josh Okogie. And, Patrick and Jackson list. is back. He played very well in the game last year against SU. They've got this freshman point guard, Jose Alvarado, who's yep. been fantastic. They like to get out in transition. They're not going to shoot a lot of threes. They're going to want to get out and run. And the difference between the two games last year, and Jerry and I talked about this last night, down in Atlanta, they got out in transition. They had 20-plus points in fast-break points. They did not do that inside the Carrier Dome. That was a big reason reason why Syracuse lost that game, and I know we look at that Tyler Roberson yeah. questionable screen. There was Syracuse also- had to make a comeback, though, just to be in that situation. The, the big thing last year was they got out and ran, and Syracuse was unable to stop the transition points. That is going to be a big key tomorrow night. I also remember there was an, some absurd stretch in, that, in the second half of that game. I want to say it was like 12 minutes where they were just ice cold. From the field, where, where Syracuse just flat out did not score. Well, that could um, happen and, again. And, right, but to your point, we were looking at that game and saying, "Oh wow, that that Tyler Roberson call really might have killed him." Like no, like other things killed. It was them. a horrible call. Yeah, it was. Still bothers me to this day. But in any event, that's not why they lost that game. No. You look back at the stats. Big reason they lost the game is because Georgia Tech got out in transition, and Georgia Tech is going to want to get out in transition again tomorrow night. They don't shoot a lot of threes. They don't make a lot of threes, so they're going to score. They're going to try to score a lot of points in transition. 315-437-7644 if you'd like to get involved. Uh, we're just getting started on Orange Nation. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen Seth back with you on a Tuesday edition of Orange Nation. 315-437-7644 if you'd like to get involved. A former SU player, former SU star Gene Waldron set to join us in hour number two. But other than that, again, phone lines are open. We'll keep SU basketball on the table if you'd like to check in and, and talk about tonight's, uh, tomorrow night's rather, uh, big game against Georgia Tech down in Atlanta. But we're going to switch topics, and as we alluded to at the top of the show, Seth, it is Tuesday. We haven't done this in a few weeks, but it's time to bring back Top 5 Tuesday in honor of the Super Bowl. So a uh, a, a Super Bowl version of, yes. uh, of Top 5 Tuesday. A couple different topics that I know uh, you want to get to today. Yeah. So I'll, I'll let you yeah. fire away first. All right. Why don't, why don't we start with games? Okay. Right, we'll start with games. Um, I limited this. To games I've seen, so top five best Super Bowls of your lifetime. Yeah, I, so I really limited to like. Since we have a two, different sample size yeah, for this. I, I kind of sort of limited it to like since two thousand. Like that's kind of my 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 football viewing lifetime. Okay. Uh, number five, I put last year, and I say this knowing that like it wasn't a very good game. Like for three quarters, that game was not all that interesting. Um, I wasn't all that entertained by it. And then the Patriots went nuts and scored, uh, you know, 31 unanswered. And that, like for the history aspect of it, I thought had to be on my list. Given the small sample size that I've got, um, I had to put it on the list. Uh, but yeah, overall, I didn't think last year's game was that great. The comeback makes it interesting and 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 throws it on the, on my list. All right, I'll let you just go through your top five. Okay. And then I'll throw in a few that are older than than you <laughs> okay from from back in the day but but go ahead I'll let you do your right. top five first uh, number four Super Bowl thirty six Patriots Rams uh, clean game field goal game started the whole dynasty uh, so it gets a spot uh, Super Bowl forty nine uh, was I, I thought just like a really good game Patriots beat the Steelers that was the Malcolm Butler interception uh, came down to the end Seahawks you said Steelers uh, sorry yes, right. C- Seahawks uh, 
a good game the, the entire way and came down to the end, questionable call uh, by the coaching staff and, and a great play. Uh, Super Bowl 43, Steelers beat the Cardinals 27-23. Uh, I, I think one of the best Super Bowl catches of all time with Santonio Holmes um, in, in that corner of the end zone. Uh, you had uh, you had uh, Harrison with the interception return, 100 yards. Um, the Cardinals hadn't been to a Super Bowl before. Kurt Warner still had a shot to to get him the win after Santonio Holmes' catch. Um, and also the last couple minutes of that game were just kind of insane, right? I mean, the Steelers scored... Uh, they they throw a pass to Larry Fitzgerald and he goes what seventy some odd yards uh, for a touchdown before setting up that drive uh, for the Santonio Holmes touchdown. So really, uh, overall a great finish. Um, and then number one because I had to Super Bowl forty two the Giants beat the Patriots seventeen to fourteen. Tyree catch, uh, Plaxico burst in the corner of the end zone. I, I had to. That had to be number one for me. We actually have the same number one, and I know that really? that surprises you. Um, but in my lifetime, that was, I think for me, you know that I cheer for, for two teams, the Bills and whoever play the Patriots. Yeah. So to see well, the Patriots lose in that fashion. And that game was just so shocking, right? Yeah. From from like the whole way. Like that that was just, like I, I remember. You thought it was going to be a coronation right. for the Patriots. And, and I remember I remember the, the, the story of the week and, you know, take media day for what it's worth. It's kind of a circus and a joke and whatever. I remember, I think it was Justin Tuck was like asked for a prediction and he goes, oh, they'll win 17-14. And, <laughs> and somebody on the Patriots was then asked about it and he was like, oh, come on, give us more than 17 points and you know then the, so like that became like the story of the week like oh the Patriots are so confident like they're gonna go blow them out and then they do you blame them I no, mean do you blame them for being confident I don't so I, yeah I think that for me that was number one watching the Patriots lose in that fashion and you know David Tyree former Syracuse guy having such a big hand in it and a helmet in it I guess you could say um, that was number one for me as well I had to put Bill's Giants on the list because for me Again, just from like a fan perspective, that was exciting. I I realized that the the end result is not what I wanted it to be, but that was it was exciting. I mean, it was a, it was a great game. Went right down to the wire. You know, Scott Norwood misses the field goal uh, on the final play. Giants win, um, but it was a great game, and and my Bills were involved, and that was the closest yeah. they got. Um, yeah, the other ones weren't obvious. Obviously, weren't as close. Right. Um, yeah, Patriots Seahawks makes my list as well. I'll throw two others at you that are, you know, kind of quote unquote before your time. Rams Titans isn't really yeah, before your time. I was time. thinking about that, that one. That was too. a fantastic game and a fantastic finish. Titans get the ball to the 10 yard line, one final play to try and tie. They're down by a touchdown. They come up a yard short. Uh, great game. And then this is before your time, but Niners Bengals and Joe Montana leading the yep. Niners down the field 92 yards on the final drive and, and for them to win it uh, in the fashion that they want it. Again, that was. Early on in my fandom as well, I mean, that was 89, so I'm, what, 13 years old. Um, so early on for me as well, but uh, but that had to make my list. I mean, that was a legendary moment, legendary drive by Joe Montana. Uh, one more story about the, the Giant-Patriot game that I, I can like vividly remember. So I was driving around the night of the regular season Giants-Patriots game, and we're listening to to the game on the radio, and the game ends, and it goes into the post-game show on, on WFAN in New York, and, and they start taking some phone calls. And this person calls in, and I swear it was a kid. Like, maybe he was around my age. I was, like, 13 at the time. Maybe he was younger. But he calls in, and and he said, uh, the Giants just played the Patriots really close. Do you think they could ride the momentum to the Super Bowl? And the I swear, the host literally laughed the poor kid off the phone. 
They were like, no, don't be ridiculous. That's not happening. Like, the Giants aren't going to the Super Bowl. Uh, oh, no, this was on the pregame show. They were like, they're not playing them close, and they're not going to the Super Bowl. Like, don't worry about it. You won't have to, you know, th- let's stop being ridiculous here. Uh, and, and, like, between those two things, like the, that and the Justin Tuck thing, um, and, of course, beating an 18-0 team, that, that one will stick with me. For, Isn't that why we while. love sports games like that? That you yes. know, you think you know the outcome, or you know, you look back on college basketball history. I'm a huge college basketball fan. I know that you are as well. Like the Villanova Georgetown game, and again, I know I'm going before your time, but right. it was just, it was, it was going to be a coronation for Georgetown, and and they were going to win the national title, and then Villanova plays the perfect game, and and they win it. Or NC State beating Houston. We've all seen the Jimmy V 30 for 30. The way that they went about that where, you know, all week they're saying, yeah, we're going to slow it down. You know, these guys are so good. And then, you know, they go out and they smack Houston in the mouth and then they, you know, they they win in dramatic fashion. I mean, that's why we love sports, for the David Tyree catch and and, and for the upsets. And, um, yeah, I mean, so that one, that one's number one for me. It's number one for you. I bet it's, it's number one for a lot of people. Yeah. I think we've been really lucky recently getting a lot of Super Bowls that have been really good. Well, we good. just rattled off like eight of them yeah. in the last, you know, 20 years or so, 25 years. I mean, we've gotten some really for, good games. Because for a while, the games were pretty awful. You think we're going to get a good game Sunday? Yeah, I do. I think that we will. Um, I think, yeah, because, uh, again, I said this last Monday, right? The Patriots play close games in these Super Bowls. It's three points, three points, four points, three points. Uh, you know, uh, they won by six last year, and it was their largest margin of victory or defeat in any Super Bowl. Uh, I think that they just they play very close games, and whether they are way better than the team on the other side of the field or not, they're going to play you close. And and they're I don't want to say they're going to let you hang around. Maybe it's just their game plan going in, like, hey, we know what we have to do. Um, but they play close games for whatever reason, so I think that it'll be relatively close. I think it's going to be close. I think Philly's got a shot to win this game, and I I know I've been you know kind of on the Philly bandwagon, you know, even with Carson Wentz going down, and I picked them from the beginning of the playoffs. I said they're going to the Super Bowl. Here they are in the Super Bowl. I think they got a legit shot, and so much of it depends on Nick Foles, and I understand that. Give me the Nick Foles that we saw in the NFC title game. This they can beat. But can the he Patriots. do that again? They can beat the Patriots, and and he doesn't even have to be that good. But with that defense, that running game, and it's not like the Patriots are the eighteen and zero Patriots. No, they're, they're not. They've they're, got I mean, issues. They do have issues. I think this is going to be a good game. I think the Eagles have a shot. And and maybe let me put it this way: Nick Foles doesn't have to play as well as he did in the NFC title game because I'm not sure that is possible. He just can't lose them the game. Can he just keep them in the game and let that defense go to work and let that running game go to work and put up just enough points? I don't know. You get to twenty four points. That might be enough. You get to you get to 24 27 points. That might be enough that to win this be. game. Maybe. Just don't yeah. give Tom Brady the ball back with, right. with a you Don't know, give Tom Brady the ball last. Of, right. <laughs> well, if you're if you're up 10 it's okay. If it's 7 or less, don't give Tom Brady the ball back in the final few minutes. We yeah. know that. 315-437-7644 if you'd like to check in on Top 5 Tuesday, we're going to take a timeout. Seth has another Top 5 that yes. he wants to un- unveil on the other side. So keep it here. We'll be right back on ESPN Radio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM Syracuse. And 100.1 FM Oswego. Our take on the day's top stories. It's today's business on Orange Nation. It's brought to you every day by Grossman St. Amore CPAs. As we welcome in our producer, Max Brigandi. What's up, Max? Not much. Been a little busy out there today. Got a... 
bunch of headlines for you guys today. Starting off with the Blake Griffin trade. In July, he agreed to that monster deal. Five years, $171 million. Uh, briefly flirted with free agency. Now he's being traded to the Pistons. Uh, kind of confusing, no? Uh, yes and no. Yes and no. Uh, the, find I, the, the thing I find absolutely fascinating in this is, have you read recently what the, the, the Clippers' pitch was over the summer? Like, this got resurfaced yesterday uh, after the trade, but apparently the Clippers brought him into Staples Center, like, literally raised a banner to the rafters with his number, had the PA guy there with the lights dimmed, like, saying, today we honor a lifelong Clipper and, you know, a a Clipper great, and, like, had this whole vision laid out for him. And they were like, you're going to sign this five-year deal, you're going to retire here, you're going to have your number retired, we're going to put a statue outside for you. And six months later, they trade him. Like that—that's the thing that I find just interesting. Like it's—it's it's crazy to me. Like that you sign this deal. It's five years. It's one hundred seventy-five million dollars. And then the Clippers are just like, eh, okay, yeah. See you he, later. He even agreed. He wanted his legacy to be a Clipper, which is why he signed the deal in the first place. Right. Like he was all in on it. And now, six months later, after he could have tested free agency, he's now a Detroit Piston. But I'm not—I'm not necessarily surprised. I'm not necessarily sh- like surprised that he's traded and that he was moved. Maybe that happened so quickly, but uh, once Chris Paul left, you kind of felt this whole thing falling apart, right? I-, I mean, he leaves DeAndre Jordan. There, there have been rumblings since the offseason that they would trade him or they wouldn't re-sign him. Um, it feels like everything is kind of falling apart, and that the Clippers really missed their window and never really, you know, hit their stride and found everything. They let JJ Redick walk, um, and I listened. I listened to his podcast. And he said that uh, they like didn't even make an offer to him. They were just like, "We're we're not re-signing you. Like you're not back." Here. At some point, you need to to move on, right? And can Blake Griffin be the best player on a championship team? And maybe at one time the answer was yes, or maybe I think the answer is no. Now he hasn't been an All Star in three years. I was surprised when I heard that. If you, yeah, if, if I, I were to I read ask that you too, this, I was surprised. But. If I were to ask you this, has Blake Griffin? Lived up to expectations, surpassed expectations, or over the course of his career played below expectations? I'd say he's right about where I thought he'd be. Yeah. Uh, coming in, I mean, he was dominant in college, and he uh, certainly one of the more dynamic and entertaining players to watch Wait, okay, with his athleticism. You know Let me rephrase it then. Has he reached his potential as a player? I don't think he has. No, he hasn't. I don't think and, he has. And the reason is, well, it's, there's, a, there's, there's multiple injuries. reasons, but yeah. injuries are at the top of the list. Um you know, he's butted heads with some people in that franchise and with some players as well. And maybe it just it it came to a point where the Clippers looked themselves in the mirror and said, Can we win a championship? Especially under the current landscape in the Western Conference with this guy as our best player? And the answer is no. And his his play has fallen off. He has trouble staying healthy. And he's he doesn't being paid have Chris Paul in He's being paid a, a ton of money. I think there are a lot of reasons why the Clippers said, you know what? We thought we wanted this. We changed our mind. We're cutting the cord. We're gonna we're gonna start over. And well, you know what? Now now they're in the LeBron, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard next offseason running, right? That that's they're not gonna get LeBron. No, but that's why. Why do you just dismiss if he's that? Gonna, if he's gonna pick an LA side, it's not gonna be the why? Clippers. Why do you say that? Though? Because the Lakers like, have a no, richer history, and he'd much but, rather but, play but, for them than the Clippers, especially I, when the Clippers have to do a full rebuild. But I but they don't. They they don't if they get LeBron. 
They get LeBron, they sign somebody else that LeBron wants to bring with him, and voila, there's your rebuild. Yeah, like, but that worked I, I out how this... well for the Cavs this year with LeBron. It just worked out in the I past. I mean, they made the finals three years no, in a I'm row. I'm saying this year, though. It worked out so well in the past. I'm not denying that, but this year it just hasn't. They haven't clicked in Cleveland. Yeah, but I, I think that I, I think that's kind of overblown. I think that that's what this trade was about. They wanted to get cap space. They look, they they are probably going to go trade DeAndre Jordan, but even so, his contract's up at the end of the year. They're probably going to trade Lou Williams. His contract also up at the end of the year anyway. Avery Bradley, who they got back, his contract's up at the end of the year. It's not like they've got big money in Tobias Harris. You know, he's he's only through next off season. So I think that when you look at this trade, it's really about clearing a lot of salary and maybe it's not for LeBron this year maybe it's not for Paul George but you know maybe it's for Kevin Love this year maybe it's for you know a uh, uh, Kawhi Leonard next year when he hits free agency maybe it's for somebody like that and they're able to rebuild or semi rebuild I, I don't think they're doing this to like rebuild and start over and get a bunch of young guys again they're the Clippers they haven't been good outside of this five-year stretch like don't you think they want to keep being relevant? And I think that Steve Ballmer, who paid $2 billion, would like for his team to keep being relevant. I don't think they're going in for a five-year rebuild here. It's just interesting because Matt Barnes went on Twitter yesterday and saying the real problem in L.A. was with Doc Rivers and not the stars on the team. So, like, it seems that like the Clippers are almost taking Doc Rivers' side and not the stars, whereas in Cleveland you're obviously going to do what LeBron says here, Steve Ballmer and whoever's higher up is, is kind of taking Doc Rivers' side and saying, look, we know you're a good coach, but then you have the players who are getting in disagreements with him, and there's but obviously a rift there. And they're, so it's They're like, not taking Blake's side because he is not LeBron. At one time, right. no, exactly. he That's wasn't what I'm saying. as good as LeBron. But Three years ago, he, you would have taken yeah, Blake's side. Right, he right. not now, though. He, does, yeah. he, he doesn't. He's, he's not on that level anymore. He's not a Kevin Durant or a Russell Westbrook or a LeBron James where they say, I want this to happen, and the management says, okay. It, it, he's not, he's not, he's that not among anymore. that group anymore. Yeah, no, I think they're in for a total rebuild. That's just me. I don't. I can never see LeBron then putting again, on a Clippers jersey. Then again, they got a first-round pick in this trade. They could probably get a first-round pick for DeAndre Jordan. They could probably squeeze a first-round pick out of a trade for, for Lou Williams. And, oh, by the way, they've got their own. Right, like that's why could, I'm saying a rebuild very, would make sense. Or they could you, very easily wind up with four first-round picks. You sign a, a marquee free agent, whether it's LeBron or somebody else, and surround them with four first-round picks. Probably got an interesting team. Yeah, interesting. I just don't know if that's interesting enough to challenge the Western Conference. No, it probably isn't. Probably not. But no. I mean, either way, interesting trade. I did. I mean, if anyone in this room saw it coming, I'd call you a liar. But in other news, NFL news today: Roger Goodell saying he is quote not somewhat concerned. He is concerned about the catch rule on what it is and what it isn't. Uh, he cited a Hall of Fame receiver who wanted to remain nameless. That fans saying that fans want to see catches, so that the league will review the the rule in February and March. And he cannot promise change, but it could potentially happen. So, good news? Bad news? Still going to be a problem? Still going to be a problem. Still going to be a problem. Agree that fans want to see catches? I mean, points, fill the seats, offense... Definitely yes. more entertaining. Yes, as evidenced what, by every rule change over the last 15 years. What is most frustrating is when you watch a game at home, and you know we're all football fans in here. Are you going to talk about the Calvin Benjamin catch? Well, I wasn't going to bring that up specifically. I'm saying when you watch it home and you say, wow, what a catch. Yeah. And then you watch it in instant replay and you're still like, wow, what a catch. And then they look at it and they dissect it. And then, you know, maybe the ball moved. And, you know, I think the nose of the ball touched the ground and, you know, he didn't control it through the process. Like, don't overthink it. Yeah. Like, if I'm sitting at home and I watch it, I'm like, wow, that was awesome. And then I watch the replay and I still think the same thing. 
Like, well, that's what I was talking about with the Calvin Benjamin catch, catch because be catch. that was the one that sticks out to me in this yes. year. Right. That could have been a total game changer. Or like when the Steelers beat the Patriots, except for they didn't. Except for, yes. Or Des Bryant with I mean, there's the so Packers. Many, there's... There are so many examples. When you watch it and you're like, that was unbelievable. And then, you know, the referees say, no, just kidding. You know, this is what happened. And, you know, technically it wasn't a catcher. Technically it was a fumble. Or, I, it's... It's out of control, and I don't know what the answer is. Like I, I realize gonna, they have to have rules in place. Right. I was going to say, like, is it going to be the football move part after the securing of the ball? Is it going to be the part where it can't touch the ground, even though you still have somewhat control? You've seen it so many times. This I don't year know. They what, take what do you know what they to, should do? You know what they know. should do? Uh, this is. I mean, I'm I'm saying this tongue in cheek, but they instead of putting a referee there who's looking at it analytically, they should put a fan in front of the monitor and say. Hey, you know, Tom in Milwaukee, is that a catch? You know what I'm saying? Like, somebody who doesn't have a rooting interest. Now, just obviously, common, that's ridiculous. Just, just, how about this? Never just happen. go common sense. Is that right. a catch the or is common it not sense a catch? Rule. That is a great way to put it. Well, the common was, sense yeah, rule. Off is that, that I'm catch? saying, like, don't watch it in slow motion. Instead of watching in slow motion in the replay, watch it in real time. And if right. it changes your mind and well, you see it in real time a couple times. I'm fine in slow motion if that if you can determine, oh, he trapped it. Like, But you can only see it in slow motion. or Like, I'm, I'm okay with it. Just don't overthink it. Like, is it if it... If it looks like a catch, then it's a catch. And I don't know how you put that into the rules, but that's what I would like to see. And and so, yeah, I think the NFL certainly has a problem on its hand. I, I don't know how you fix it. Can I go with another rule change that I would like? 90 seconds for replay review. Yeah, if, I, you can't, I, if you can't figure it out in 90 seconds, you don't have enough to overturn it. I agree with 90 that. 90 seconds for a video review. And if you can't figure it out, leave I, it. I found myself so many times being frustrated with the amount of time that it took to decide on calls in the instant replay I'd this even, year. I'd that even, doesn't bother me as much as getting the call lower. right. Like that, It really doesn't bother no, me if, that much. If you can't like, get see, the call right. But hold on. But if you can't see that there's indisputable evidence in your first 17 views of a play, the 18th is going to change your mind? Well, once you put a time limit on it, again, I don't know the process. I don't know how long it takes to queue up the replays and then you know when they see it and... Within reason. Like, yes, I, I understand. You don't want a 10-minute delay. But the 90 seconds, or if it's four minutes, just get it right. The frustrating part for me is they take four minutes, and then they come back and they give you some convoluted explanation why it wasn't a catch. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's stick with the NFL and sneak one more in here. Would it make sense for the Cowboys to cut Des Bryant? Signed a five-year, $70 million deal in 2015. Has not had a 1,000-yard receiving season or more than eight touchdown catches since then. This year, 69 receptions, 830 yards. Uh, six touchdowns, all career lows when he's played 16 games. He's still signed through 2019. He's been bothered by injuries. Offense now going run heavy with Zeke. Jimmy Graham, Jarvis Landry, free agents. Should they just part ways with him and move on? I'm in, the, I'm in the Dez is overrated slightly category here. He's not a number one receiver I, I mean, anymore. I don't know. I mean, he might be in the right situation. I I, I don't think he's I, – I don't know that he's ever been as good as everybody propped him up to be. Um, so – would I cut him? Probably not, but I wouldn't want to pay him what they like. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have wanted to sign him to that contract, but I don't know that. Like, I I still want him on my team, but not at that contract. Well, the only thing I'm saying is they would save eight and a half million against the cap and yeah. four million in the year after that against the cap if they did it after June first. Um, I mean, not crazy free agent market for receivers this season, but Jarvis Landry and Jimmy Graham could be interesting on the Cowboys. Another tight end adding in there when Jason Witten retires. I mean. Dez is just, I mean, he's not 
the you same guess Bryant. You don't get player for player trades a lot. No, I'm not but... saying player for player for trades. I'm saying free agent. Oh, yeah. Don't you prefer Sorry. to have Des Bryant on your roster than not? And you say he's not Des well, Bryant. Well, you always anymore. say who's gonna be the next guy. You know what I mean? Who are you gonna replace him with? And I'm right. saying who but isn't part of Des's value just being on the field and drawing extra attention? You I mean, could argue that, you, yeah. Is he still you prefer he's on your team than I think he does? But I'm also asking, is Dez 100% for 16 games? You've seen all the injuries he's dealt with, and they linger in receivers with the foot and the ankle and knee injuries. Is like in the you back of my mind, catches. In the back of my mind, I'm always thinking, is he 100%? And do I want to pay all this money to somebody who's not going to be 100%? He's not Julio Jones. He's not Odell Beckham Jr. Right. He's, he's not still, Antonio Brown. He's, he's not... Still I would put him right in the second, 10, second top flight. Top 15. Second flight of receivers. It's not AJ Green. You, no. you want him on. I, it, it's it's like going back to the quarterback question. Like, is Tyrod Taylor a top 15 quarterback in the league? He's not, which is why I say move on from him. We've had this debate before. If, the quarterback, you, if, you have, if you have a, a quarterback who's in the top half, you keep him because you need a quarterback to win. If you have a wide receiver who's in the top half of of what he does, I, I think I think you keep him. And I say in terms of being a number one wide receiver, is he still a top fifteen receiver in the league? I think he is. It's also interesting because yeah, but then again, the Patriots are going to go win their second Super Bowl in a row without having a, yeah, a true and they have number Tom one Brady, receiver. And the Dallas Cowboys don't have Tom right. Brady, and they have Bill Belichick. Well, the Dallas but, Cowboys don't have also, Bill Belichick. And, and also, do, does it have to be pointed out that? Not only do they not have Tom Brady, but like they don't even have Tony Romo anymore, who is a pretty good quarterback. Well, that's and, what I was just going to bring Des up too. put and... up great numbers with Tony Romo, but you know the the focus of this team has shifted so much over the last two seasons with Dak Prescott with Ezekiel Elliott that now you don't even have the quarterback there who you trust to drop back thirty five times a game. That's what and I was going to say. What I would say is, is, is Zeke as effective if Des Bryant isn't on the field? Like if you, well, you saw it, to throw you to... saw it this year when Zeke was out. The Cowboys didn't play didn't, well. They had horrible yeah. offense because it was just that easy for Des Bryant to be double covered. And we got to go here. Um, we're up against the clock. But in order to be truly effective with your running game, you need to have a threat in the passing game. So I think Zeke very much wants Des Bryant to still be on the roster. That was today's business brought to you by Grossman St. Amore CPAs located in downtown Syracuse. Grossman St. Amore CPAs provides businesses and individuals with tax planning and tax preparation services and strategies to help minimize your tax liabilities. Learn more about how Grossman St. Amore CPAs can optimize the financial opportunities for your business online at gsacpas.com. One final time out. Wrap up the show right after this on ESPN Radio.